We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 239. It finally happened, Scott. Finally, a good Sunny Gray game on the night we are recording. Yeah, back-to-back Sunny Gray starts. This kid is uh, hes trying to cooperate with things now. It's, uh, it's not too late. It's not too late, Sonny. You're doing, you're doing it. It's all happening. No, this, I mean, he was, he was really good. He was absolutely, uh, it looked like the old Sonny Gray, the guy that you know we thought we were getting when Brian Cashman made that trade. He looked confident. He looked. Uh, he was throwing. Uh, we'll get into his whole start, but he was throwing that fastball with with uh, with like conviction. It seemed like. Um, so yeah, it was really encouraging. There's no doubt about it. Thank God, Aaron Judge, you know, brought the hammer down in the 13th to uh, to win that game because that's one you definitely want to come out with a W. Absolutely. I mean, it would have been an encouraging game from Sonny Gray, even if they lost that game. Yeah, but to but to win it to get that that short series sweep. 
uh, of the Blue Jays definitely makes it a lot sweeter. And it's been it's been busy four games in in three days. Before that, it seemed like they hadn't played much because of all those rainouts. So it's it was busy week for the Yankees, and we have a busy podcast coming up. Yeah, lots of stuff to talk about. I mean, some some very good stuff, some unfortunate news because of uh, our boy Montgomery, but lots 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 to cover. Not to mention we have um, I spoke with Mike Petrillo from MLB.com. Uh, and he's also the host of the StatCast podcast that's going to be on the second half of the show. I did about 20, 25 minutes with Mike and got into a lot of the analytics. Go figure, I'm the one that's talking to all these analytics guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was good stuff. He actually was talking about specifically Sonny Gray and and the use of the fastball. So um, look out for that. He had some really good insight on on why he thinks it could turn him around and, and, and really change things. And I think we saw a lot of that tonight. So it was good timing on Mike's part. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and uh, also just a couple of other housekeeping items. Obviously, the MLB draft happened Monday and Tuesday of this week. We will get into what the Yankees did, maybe a couple of uh, tidbits on some of the players they drafted. I know the guy uh, in the first round, switch hitting pitcher, switch hitting catcher, um, makes it uh, interesting. So we're going to talk about everything from the draft on Monday's episode. Um just wanted to update you guys on that. Also, June 29th event is coming up. It's in a couple weeks against the Red Sox. Those tickets are on sale. You can go get those uh, on the website right now. And it's an awesome deal because right now tickets for that game on the secondary market are just astronomical. So you're getting a great deal if you get it through us. Yeah, that's, Scott, a, that's a fixed saw... price, baby. That's a fixed price. <laughs> I saw, or I heard, uh, Ruko was talking about this stat on the broadcast tonight. He said, he dropped this nugget. The Yankees are 27, now they're 28-3 and when a starter goes at least six innings. Which is just crazy. That means they're 12-15 and when they don't go at least six innings. The difference in that six-inning, not six-inning barrier is huge. And I think um, obviously it might people might say, well, that's obvious. A pitcher goes deeper into the games. Things are going right for your team. You're going to win more games when pitchers don't go as deep. Things are going poorly. You're going to lose more games. But that is a pretty drastic difference. And I think just highlights how with this team, it, it just that six inning barrier is so important. Well, it, it's kind of an interesting stat in the case too because I mean, yeah, obviously if if uh, a guy's coming out before that, there's something going on, and they're probably not you know, in a great position, but we've also had a lot of, uh, a lot of games where, you know, the, the games have been tight, but our, the guys are throwing a lot of pitches and it's just in the, in the hands of the bullpen. So it's surprising to the point that, you know, coming into the season, the bullpen was such a strength. You'd think that that, that statistic would actually be better. Um, I mean, the other one the, the going into the six is extremely lopsided and you're still getting the bullpen at the end of that though, for the last, you know, three innings. But I don't know when you're, when you're looking at that number, if you had get, thrown me those, uh, you know, Ask me what you th- I would think they were. I definitely would have thought they would have been uh, closer, right? And I think what we see is that the difference between a bullpen having to get nine outs or ten plus outs is really the the major difference here. Right. And you're counting on when they have to go more than nine outs. You're counting on multiple guys, four guys a lot of times, having to be on on the same night. And that doesn't happen all the time. Even with the talent the Yankees have in the bullpen, one guy might screw up and that can change everything. Yeah, or you're getting a guy that's extended and, and, you know, like we've seen with Boone where he's going out for a second inning potentially. So they're, they're, 
being put in situations that are a lot more strenuous at that point for an individual pitcher. So there's, and not to mention the injuries. I mean, all this stuff plays into why that record is, is not, is not good, but it starts with the, uh, with the pitching, the rotation in the, in the, on the front of the game. When these guys are good, obviously things go well. Um, the offense is, uh, is there enough usually to, to carry them if they're in a game uh, in the sixth inning. And if, and if a starting pitcher is there through six, I mean, chances are, you know, that offense is getting time to, uh, to put up enough runs to win a game. And that's what we saw when the Yankees went on their their epic run in May was the starters going deep in games. And that's what we got in the four games. They went three and one in these four games. Severino went deep into the game. He got things started the right way, exactly what you expected out of Severino on a day when you have a doubleheader. He goes eight innings, strikes out 10. That's his fourth 10-plus strikeout game of the season. And he adds to his league-leading one earned run or fewer starts since 2017 ahead of guys like Scherzer, Verlander, and DeGrom. So four of the best pitchers in baseball is right there, Severino, in that top four category. Yeah, that's so impressive. 24 starts with one earned run or less from uh, the start of 17. And it's crazy when you think about that stat because that's really, you know, there was so much... There was so much doubt going into the season 2017, I'm talking about, with Severino, whether he was going to be, you know, that effective kid uh, in the rotation that we had hoped, or was he destined to be in the bullpen? Uh, if you listen to John and Susan, they, lo- they loved Severino for the bullpen, loved him, and they wouldn't stop talking about it. Uh, but you just didn't know. And, and to see the, the way that he, you know, has just, he came out of the gate in 17, and then on to this year, it's super impressive. I mean, I mean it just speaks so much volumes about how hard he's worked and how much he's progressed. It, it really does. And we're going to see uh, DeGrom over the weekend uh, not pitching against Severino. Severino is going to actually go up against Syndergaard probably. We'll, we'll get to that later. But but I think it's just, you know, we're talking about Severino up there with those kinds of pitchers. And every time out, he gives them length, which is something that has really been important to count on every fifth day from Severino. Um, the game, too, like... The cliche goes, it's hard to sweep doubleheaders, and I think we saw that on Monday, even against a, a Detroit team. I know they're in second place, but they're also below 500, so they're not really a good team. But the Yankees still just missed a ton of opportunities because when you play two games in one day, it's just hard to win them both. Yeah, it's a lot of it's, it's just a lot of baseball, a lot of baseball, and things uh, definitely didn't go their way. The obvious. The, the exciting part was the uh, all, all the stuff surrounding uh, Giancarlo Stanton and the history between him and fires and the fact that uh, he did hit him when he was with Cleveland or when he was with Cleveland when he was with the Mar- the Marlins and uh, <laughs> hit him in the in the face really had to get t- uh, carted off like that's an ugly ugly looking uh, pitch that's that's something that you never forget and obviously he didn't because obviously as soon as that that ball was coming inside um, you knew there was there was something already in his head before he steps up to up to the plate. Like if this dude even throws inside, <laughs> I, I have a short short fuse right now. And, right, uh, and I get it. Yeah, I get, oh, it, I get it. I totally get it. I mean, that's a that could have been a career changing, uh, career changing pitch. Well, yeah, I mean, in a way, it was a career altering pitch. He didn't play the rest of that season. Yeah. And but I but I by no means think that Fires was throwing at Stan. No, I don't think so either. Not even. I don't think it at all. But it doesn't matter. So do you? Th- you so already you have it in your he, head, right? So do you think he was justified getting a little chippy? I mean, yeah, I think he's. Fi- I think absolutely. It's it's. You're you're never going to control that emotion. You already know when you're going into that that this guy hits you in the face with a baseball, and 
and that you were out for a long time because of it. Like if you, if this guy comes inside, you know, as a, as a man, you're going to be thinking, oh, oh, he's doing it again. He's trying to mm. intimidate me. Like, right. and, and I think that's what Stanton didn't want to, uh, he wanted to make damn sure that fires knew that, it, that that wasn't the case. Well, whatever he's got to do to get motivated because he came back and just pummeled a home run off of him. Yeah. So St- Stanton seems like one of those guys that needs to have that extra little fire to play at his best. Well, yeah, I think that I think it certainly helps him. I mean, you saw the when he ran around the bases, definitely took his sweet ass time, pimped it a little bit, a little bat flip, uh, like stutter stepped at third, made sure he stand stood on third for like a, a half second, and then did a nice little point back at fires. And, and, you know, the whole time he's just, he has this like nervous laugh. It seems like Fires does when he goes around there knowing that the, uh, that Stanton is using this against him and, and he can't do anything about it. It's one of those things that he was so in the wrong. I mean, obviously, whenever you hit somebody in the face. So he's kind of just has to take whatever Stanton gives him at this point. Yeah, there's nothing you could do. I mean, you, you, could, you could tell him kind of what he did. He threw his arms up. He's like, I'm not trying to hit you. I'm not trying to hit you. And I agree. I don't think he was trying to hit him, but it doesn't matter at that point. It's just not, none of that matters. And, and I thought uh, maybe for a second that rattled fires that in him because the Yankees loaded the bases, but they just could never get the big hit against him. And like I said, it was just missed opportunities. They left a ton of guys on base. They didn't help them themselves out defensively because Herman was pitching well. Uh, and it should have been a two to two game when he left. Instead, the Yankees were down a run because of that pop fly down, down the, the third, line. Uh, yeah, down the line, which you had all rookies converging with Clint <laughs> Frazier and Duhar and Glaber. Clint Frazier 100% needs to call and catch that ball. It falls, and that was the difference in the game. That was the run that ended up winning it for Detroit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Frazier's got to take control in that situation, and it's 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 in. I mean, it's in a spot that nobody can really get to easily. But Frazier obviously has everything in front of him, can see the whole play, and has the easiest you know has the easiest path to that ball. So he's absolutely got to call it off. I mean, that was a that was a a, a mix of uh, of a lot of things happening at one time that was like the perfect storm for that ball dropping. It's kind of what we talked about last episode with the annoying defensive issues. It's not the hard plays. We see them turning unbelievable double plays tonight. Uh, and also, and Duhar making a nice uh, field and throw home to, to, um, to nab a guy at the plate tonight in Sunny Gray start. So they make the difficult plays, but it's the simple plays and it's the plays that they end up beating themselves that really piss me off. And I also go back to game one. Severino's on the mound. Glaber makes another error. That leads to an unearned run. And then the Yankees are forced to use Chapman in the ninth inning in a five-run ball game because there's a pop-up behind home that Romine can't handle. And then there's a fly ball to center field, which Aaron Hicks spinning around like he's a freaking clown out there. Like, what are you, what are you doing taking that route to the ball? Well, he was so far in too. I mean, he was he was really playing shallow on that ball. Um, I mean, that was an interesting that was an interesting move in the first place to to bring in Chapman at that point. Like, I didn't even think it it, it was warranted at that point. Like, I think it would have been fine um, if if we didn't have to see Chapman. But yeah, I mean, there's there's guys doing uh, you know they got to make these plays, and I, I don't know they like they annoy me when I watch them, but they don't bother me these plays because I just know that they're slips of the mind you know what I mean I don't know for whatever reason they don't bother me as much it, it bothers me when they score though they're bothering Boone because he talked about it after the game he said we need to clean up those issues they do need to clean it up but that's the thing like I feel like those are those are the the very easy things to clean up it's not it's not fundamental issues they're they're mind issues and and that 
that is uh, that you know that's just a lack of focus. Do you think they need more infield practice? Remember they did that. Yeah, in it April? worked last time, didn't it? <laughs> they came out there and uh, they 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 cleaned up those errors. So yeah, let's do a little uh, infield outfield, break out the fungo, play some pick, yeah. a little bit of a uh, little bit of pickle before the uh, before uh, uh, pepper before the game. You know, I think they should go back to all these things. These are good stuff. This is you hate this stuff. You hate the fundamentals of baseball when spring what training. T- in spring training, when about? they're doing all the practices, you mock it. You mock it when they're, oh, when they're I doing all these the, little practices. No, no, I, I mock the dry runs. The, the dry run. I mean, all these. You know, the little fielding, uh, the, the little fielding drills that the pitchers have to do. Screw the ball into the ground and throw it to first. Right, yeah, yeah. When there's no baseball, I think it's stupid. Just like when, when Greg Bird was taking dry swings when he was recovering. I mean, it's better. It's, you can't get as hurt when you're taking dry swings. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't feel as good. Well, I'm saying. <laughs> uh, what did you think of Boone using Warren in his first appearance back off the DL in that situation with a runner on second base instead of maybe giving him a clean inning? Yeah, I mean, I didn't like this. I didn't like the the call. I mean, I was definitely not. Not expecting to see Warren in a, in a you know high leverage situation at that point, coming back from the injury, he was. I mean, he's out for a long time. Um, I, I definitely thought he was going to bring him in, in in a better position where, you know, a guy can uh, like you said, uh, whether it's a clean inning or or you know a situation that's not, um, you know, as intense at the in that moment. I, I just feel feel like they should have eased him in a bit more. Kind of kind of saw that coming as when he was coming in. A hundred percent. And Victor Martinez is up at first base open, maybe at least pitch around him. But but whatever it was, it's just I find it ironic that we spent the last episode uh, praising Boone for his bullpen management and the fact that no one is being overworked. And then we but we still have these questions about leverage situations and the guys he goes to in certain leverage spots. It's not like they needed to burn through their bullpen in game one. So you had D-Rob or Batances or or Chad Green there that you could have brought in. I, I understand that uh, they were already losing that game, so maybe he didn't want to waste one of those guys in a game they were already down. But I think it's a fair second guess. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think this one, this particular one, and I think it's because he comes off the injury. It's not like he doesn't – I think he probably has the trust in Warren. Um, but, you know, there's got to be some kind of a buffer when a guy's coming back directly back from injury and like this is your first time you're putting him out there I feel like you need a, a buffer you need to get him off on the right foot and then uh, you know get him once he gets the the juices going and all those all, all the all the uh, the good things happening with his arm then you can start throwing him in, into a higher leverage situation uh, it was a clear second guess so remember last episode when you had said that had um, Aaron Judge got thrown out at third base going for that triple that no one would have said anything right you kind of uh, proved the point because Aaron Judge had about as bad of a day as you could have in that doubleheader, 0 for 9 with 8 strikeouts. We, people killed Stanton for his golden sombreros. Judge one-upped him and strikes out eight times in one day. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of strikeouts in one, uh, in one day. That's a, uh, you go up to the plate nine times and you strike out eight, that's, uh, that's a tough day. I think the difference here, well, there's, two, there's drastic differences. One, Judge is a, a, a homegrown guy. He's, he's our guy. I mean, not that Stanton isn't our guy now, but it's different. Uh, and and two, it wasn't in the beginning of the season. Judge has already proven like he's done things. He's got he's got clout here. You know what I mean? He's got he's got some uh, uh, so, some things that are built in that the Yankee fans already know about. So you know what? When he has a day like that, that's completely horrible. Yeah, we we tend to forget about those. 
there's not even a nickname for it. Golden Sombrero is the four strikeout. Platinum Sombrero is the five strikeout day. There, there's nothing for an eight strikeout day. I understand it was over two games, but there's nothing ever invented yet uh, for what it is. It's two golden sombreros, isn't it? Isn't it a double golden sombrero? <laughs> Stack the hats, baby. But, right, but didn't he strike out five times in the second I don't know. Game? I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm trying to make it work here. Work with me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Duhar has been absolutely raking. So he's third in the league, tied for third in the league in doubles with 21. He had his gr- the grand slam that put the Yankees ahead on Tuesday night. I think we, along with a lot of other Yankees fans and people around baseball, have been overlooking him for rookie of the year love so far in this season. I mean, when you see what his numbers are, the fact that he has 21 doubles on the season and, you know, he wasn't even up the entire year, that's impressive. I mean, it seems like every time he's, you know, making contact, he's on standing on second base or the ball's going over the, the fence. But, I mean, the kid's just a doubles machine. He really is. And I love the free swing. I love the fact that he uh, just has... Because at the beginning, when, we, when he first came up, we're like, all right, all right, guy. <laughs> we get it. You like to swing hard. But maybe we temper it down a little bit. Like, no, 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 no. That's just what he does. This is how he swings, like, all the time. Like, this guy just swings the bat hard all the time. So it's fun to watch. It's fun to see that, you know, he's able to uh, to translate that and still kind of hold it back enough so that he can get the production in the major leagues. And, I mean, he's been phenomenal. Unbelievable. He, uh, he's got the rare right-handed helicopter swing. You don't see that from righties very often. You usually see it from the left side of the plate. Yeah. No, it's fun to watch. I mean, the dude's the dude's a, a straight free swinger. I mean, he's got a little bit of that uh, that that Vlad Guerrero free swinging. Although Guerrero would just swing it every single pitch. We saw two and walks from him tonight. From from Andujar, yeah, yeah. pretty rare. Yeah. yeah. So you know, learning. We're learning on the job. I like it. I like <laughs> I like to see these guys improve uh, on things that they are not very good at, or you, not even not very good at, but just you know, we're we're working on those things. As as my wife would say in first grade, you have your glows and you have your grows. Well, walking was a grow for Anduar, and today we had some growth. Some some more grows is that between the two rookies, Andujar and Gleyber Torres, 17 homers and 54 RBIs, which is just insane production from two guys that weren't even on the opening day roster. No, but they were on all of our opening day roster, weren't they? In the in <laughs> this winter, we all had and everybody, I think every Yankee fan possible, had Andujar at third base and Glaber at second, and it didn't work out that way. But what happened? Fate came and put these guys back in the in the lineup. And they're raking. They're absolutely raking. This team is gelling. Um, and these guys are, again, I talked about this, what, two, two, three episodes ago when we're talking about all these guys that have come up. Like, who, who's the guy that's going to screw up? Who's, where's the dud? Like, it doesn't happen this way. It just doesn't. You don't get this many young guys to do this well in the beginning. It just, it's, it doesn't happen this way. It's crazy. They all feed off one another. Yeah, they do. They see the guy come up before them having unbelievable success. They don't want to be the guy that comes up and fails. And we've talked about you know how they've they've learned to win together in the minor leagues, and I really think we're seeing that you know live right now. We're seeing that actually come to fruition. The fact that they do have all that, that comfort level with you know the majority of the people on the field because the majority of them they've won with, they've won championships with in in uh, Trenton and in, in Scranton and in Tampa. Like these guys all came up together, so you're seeing familiar faces up there. 
you know, the uh, when, when you when you look who their hitting coaches, you got Marcus Timms, who's been in the minor leagues with a lot of these guys. So the continuity, you know, the, you got to give the Yankees a lot of credit for continuing the continuity and and making these guys, you know, I guess feel at home, like every level up. It seems like. The whole reason they they acquired Brandon Drury and signed Neil Walker is because they wanted to ensure themselves to not have two two rookies at two key positions in the infield and and I think both of both you and I agreed with that that plan because it was it is risky to enter a season with two rookies but we're clearly being proven that both of those guys can could have handled it so the Yankees maybe were a little bit wrong on their assessment well, I don't know if it was that they were uh, wrong on their assessment because I, I got to believe that they still, you know, they think these guys had the, uh, they had the the ability to do it. But at, at the same time, you gotta, I mean, one, Brandon Drury kind of fell into their lap. Like that was a great deal. It was almost, a, it was a, it was pretty much a no brainer for Cashman to do it when it, when that became available because, you know, at that point you're just adding the depth and you're just you're you're getting a just in case guy that in case one of those two guys because he could play both of those positions. You know, you have a, a guy who's more seasoned, a little bit more of some more major league experience. So, you know, to me, it's a I don't, I don't think it's as much telling you about the, that the, the young guys can't do it, but more of a, you know, we're going to be ready for every situation. I think, so I think Yan- Chris Carter scared the living shit out of them last year. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's but that's what they kind of did with with at least the, the Neil Walker signing. That was that was this year's Chris Carter signing. Obviously it's worked out a lot better than Chris Carter ever worked out. And Neil Walker came in handy when Greg Bird was on the deal. Well but but Chris Carter was the the backup first baseman, uh, you know, for like that's it. He could that's the only thing he could play. Neil Walker, I mean, I'm not gonna compare them in the in the signings be, I mean, I see what you're saying, but like towards the end of the uh of the free agency and they were signed. But they're just very different players. what I what I meant was is I don't think Cashman I think he got scared away from not having that depth at a specific position and then being completely stuck because one, either a young guy didn't work out, which really hasn't happened yet, or an injury occurs, which we've seen and obviously gotcha. happened with Greg Bird. Yeah, no, that 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 totally makes sense. Uh, Yankees, uh, Judge saves saves the day in the 13th inning. No, Nobody was doing anything. He made the, the kid out in center field with the sign feel happy after he stood up 4,000 times with the sign. But, but most importantly, he made Sonny Gray happy because they would have wasted that eight scoreless innings. Uh, and his ERA, believe it or not, is finally under five. All right. Making progress here, Sonny. But he didn't get the win, and you need your wins. I need for my wins for this stupid bet. But that's fine. Whatever. I'll lose the bet. I'll gladly uh, pay up some beers as long as this kid has a good year and turns it around. This is the Sonny Gray that we expected, right? This is the guy that we all thought we were getting in this trade. Eight scoreless innings. Uh, but but the look, you know how I am with looks. Like I like to see the the the, the look on your face, uh, knowing that you're uh, you care and and that you're trying hard and An all emotion these on the mound and some emotion on the mound that has like you know some uh, some intensity and that's what we saw tonight. We saw some yeah. intensity from Sonny Gray. We saw the fact that he you could just tell he wanted to do well tonight and he was going to do everything in his in his in, in, in that he could possibly control to do well and. I think one of the biggest things that we touched on early or in the beginning of the show is these fastballs. I mean, it's a drastic difference talking about what he's been throwing all year and then tonight. It looked great tonight. His fastball looked great, and he used it a lot, which I think is the biggest difference. Yeah. So we, we actually just looked it up before we, we pressed record. He threw 65% fastballs tonight. Previously, in all of his starts before tonight, 32% fastballs. That's such so he, a drastic difference. 
double doubled his fastball total. And it, it's not like he was just using the fastball to show the fastball, which sometimes is what I think Tanaka does. Yeah. But his fastball was actually good, and it was actually effective tonight. It was in the mid-90s. He's, he was using both his four-seamer and his two-seamer. He had that little two-seam Greg Maddox action going against yes. lefties where he could get the comeback on the inside uh, part of the plate. Not He was getting swings and misses with it. He was getting called strikes with it, and he was getting weak contact with it. So it was really his best pitch tonight. And as a right-handed pitcher, if you can throw that, that comeback fastball over the inside of the plate to a lefty, I mean, that's that's huge because... Because then you're you're starting to be you know very effective against left-handed pitching or against left-handed uh, hitting. That's a really hard pitch to hit because uh, it doesn't look like it's ever coming back. And and if it he was sneaking it back in, it was it was good. There was action on the ball. He got it up to 96 at some point. Like this kid was throwing hard, and you could tell you know when he's throwing that fastball, the way that his delivery is, it just it just pops out of his hand. I, I I guarantee if you talk to some of these guys who are going up against him when they're seeing 94, 95, um, or even 96, that it, it comes on them faster than that, and it, it feel it, it plays faster because of the way, um, you know that his uh, his windup kind of hides the ball a little bit, and and the, just the way that the ball comes out of his hand, it really comes out fast. So um, everything was good. I mean, there's really nothing bad to say about what he did tonight. I I I, I, I can't find many things. Um, to, to circle as as hey we need to work on that he walked two guys I think right that well was he it. was but that was when he first showed his emotion when he walked the first guy it was it was to Russell Martin he kind of slammed his he slammed his feet down on the mound like he was pissed off at himself pickles, because remember he, pickles he did he didn't walk anybody against the Baltimore star and he didn't allow a base runner in the first four innings tonight right. Uh, it wasn't until the fifth inning that he allowed a hit and, and ended up walking Russell Martin. So it had been a long time. So I think he was probably kicking himself. Like I had, I had a groove going. Maybe that was a little hiccup, but he didn't let him get, he didn't let it get to him. That was the inning he escaped the jam and Duhar made the nice play at third. And then he got a huge double play ball. Mm -hmm. That was really the only time that the Blue Jays threatened. Well, yeah, he had two, two double play balls, I think in two consecutive innings that got him out of, uh, out of jams and they were, you know, Timely ground balls, and and uh, I guarantee they were uh, orchestrated ground balls. Like that's what they were going for. They're looking for that ground ball, and and the, when he's throwing uh, all these different pitches and controlling that fastball, you know that's the guy. That's this is the guy. This is the guy that could be the the such a huge difference maker as our number two guy. Because if we have a Sonny Gray who's going like this or similar to this, and, and he's uh, and he's showing all his good stuff, and the batters really have to um, you know respect his stuff at that point, then. You know, the Yankees have a dominant one and two if he can do this. It, it's, it steps in the right direction for Sonny Gray because it's three out of the last four starts that have been good. Uh, the the one thing that is still sort of jumping out is that he has not been good at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, the all on the road. Are, right. The splits are drastic. On the road as a Yankee, 12 starts, 2.51 ERA, which is fantastic. At home, 11 starts, 6.44 ERA, which is horrendous. Well, and I mean, those numbers, a lot of them are from early in the season as well because the last three road starts, have he's been very good. And whether that's him on the road and more comfortable or it's just him turning the corner and now he's pitching better uh, and they were on the road and it just so happened to be on the road. You know, that's, that's why also I think we could see, uh, you know, a difference in those numbers, but yeah, he's got to prove that he can go back home and, and, and pitch there. There's no doubt because he hasn't done it yet. Yeah. And he, he, I'm sure I didn't watch his post game press conference, but I'm sure after the game, he said his stuff was good. So finally we can at least see the results when his stuff was good. Maybe he doesn't say his stuff is good when he's when he's actually good. Maybe it's totally reversed. 
He's like, yeah. ah, actually, wasn't that great tonight. Thought it could have been better. Uh, let's let's actually just stay on the pitching uh, right now and talk about Montgomery going down for Tommy John surgery. Yeah. This is something we feared when he went on the DL back on May 2nd. Because remember, he had the flexor strain, which is the same injury that Caprellian had. And Caprellian obviously needed Tommy John surgery. The Yankees were downplaying it when it happened, though. Montgomery was downplaying it, said he had pitched through some similar discomfort back when he was in college, and he didn't think it was going to be, be a big deal. The MRI didn't show that. The first MRI didn't show anything. It wasn't until the MRI he had recently, after he was playing catch, that they realized he needed surgery. And, I mean, I guarantee that they were they had already thought about it. I mean, when, when you have something like this, if the, I feel like if there's any kind of inflammation or discomfort after the extended time off and, and they start throwing again, they just shut it down. They're not going to mess around with it, especially with, you know, with, because of his age, they're, they're just going to like, they're going to shut it down and, and just hit the reset button. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. It really, it sucks because you know, he was, uh, he was, he was pitching well, he's turning a corner. It seemed like uh, he had a good year last year and you know, he was going to be an effective part of this. And, and when you have a guy like that, who's another left-handed pitcher, um, in the rotation that you, you know, you want to have uh, another lefty besides CC in the rotation, it's uh, it, it hurts. It definitely hurts. And it, it's most disappointing, I think, for him. Well, do you think the Yankees, like Brian Cashman, Aaron Boone, the, the front office, was expecting Montgomery to come back strong this year? Because I really don't. I mean, I don't think if you ask them now, uh, after the injury, probably... probably Not after the injury. If you ask them on May 3rd, the day after he went down. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The fact that, they, that he went down like that and had anything in the forearm or in the arm or whatever, you're, you're always going to think the worst because... That's if any little thing goes sideways on your rehab, you're probably getting shut down. Like that's just what happens. They, especially like I, I said before, the his 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 uh, age goes into this. I think I think because he's a young guy, um, you know, they're not going to mess around with it at that point. And if if he does have some discomfort, they're just going to take precautions and and make sure that they uh, they they protect him as as an asset and making sure that his career doesn't get damaged because that's what can happen. It obviously sucks for Montgomery because he's out for the rest of the season. He's going to be on a year-long rehab, which means we're not going to see him until sometime in the second half of 2019. Mm-hmm. That, that, that not only hurts Montgomery's career, it hurts the Yankees between now and then. But uh, I, I made this argument on Twitter the other, uh, when the news broke that this does not really change much from the day before we, fu- we knew about Montgomery to now when we know about Montgomery. Uh, for for 2018, the Yankees still had holes in their rotation, even with Montgomery, and they still were going to go out and need to need to acquire a top flight starting pitcher if they want to win a World Series. Whether Montgomery came back or he didn't come back, well, see the thing is, I I, I don't. It hurts the depth. There's no doubt about it because when you're looking at a guy like Jordan Montgomery who's going to come back, I mean, he was. He was very good. I mean, this is a guy that, that, that can pitch into uh, you know the sixth and the seventh inning. Like he can get some depth. He is a dependable guy. Keeps you in games. He's just one of those those very sound structure guys that you know is going to give you um, a quality start. And I think when you're rolling the dice with some of these other guys, and and yes, they're going to acquire another arm. I think that was going to happen no matter what. I agree with you there. But when you're looking at the depth and you're talking about what kind of guy that they need. I don't necessarily, if you see that Sonny Gray is, is, uh, you know, turned a corner and they have now Severino and Sonny Gray as their top two guys, uh, that are throwing well. And I mean, 
for conversation's sake, if Tanaka is in there and and throwing like a number three and and doing well, not great, but doing well, I, I'm not convinced that they're going to have to go out there and get a clear number one. Um, mm. At that point, I, I just I, I think now when you're seeing wh- where the depth is, because you have to worry about CC now, you have to worry about Herman if he can get, you know, if he can stay. Oh, you still in have to worry about everybody. To worry about all Severino. these guys. So yeah, I think now because he's not there, there's no one else. The closet is, <laughs> the, the the cabinet is bare. So you but have they were to gonna have to. They were going to have to worry about Montgomery when he came back too. It was just going to be another worry in the rotation. You're, you're right. And, and, and you're talking, and you, you said, like, I don't know if they're going to have to go out and acquire a number one. I don't want to put a number one, number two label on it. I think they're going to have to go out and acquire the best possible starting pitcher they can get. Well, it depends Whether on Whether he's what... a number one or a number two or a number three, I don't know. But whoever the top guy available that's in their price range as far as prospects goes, I think they're going to acquire. And I think they were going to acquire him whether Montgomery was healthy or not. Yeah, but that's my point. If they're if you're talking about them going out and acquiring somebody who's within their price range, I mean, whatever the whatever that is at this point, because they prospect have so many pr- damn prospect prospects. price range. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but we don't know what that price range is. I mean, there's so many prospects that they have here. They can, well, we can they can guess. do anything, but they can do anything at this point. They could go after uh, if someone was made available and and there was a king's ransom. They could absolutely go after a guy like that. But if you have do you um, think they will? a healthy Jordan Montgomery and you have uh, a, a top two guys, you might not need to at that point. So I do think it changes that because of the depth. Like I I, I really think that the depth now is a serious issue uh, for this team. It is the depth the the pitching depth the starting rotation depth is hurt by this injury but do you think when brian cashman is talking to other teams that he is offering up everybody or do you think he still has a a prospect budget in mind and he is not going to budge on that because i think it's in the latter no i i don't think i think it depends on what names we're talking about here and i think it depends on uh you know who the who the tag is because there are so many spots filled in this team, I think he's got a little bit more leverage and a little bit more flexibility to do bigger things if he needed to. I, I mean, we're not talking about Glaber Torres anymore uh, in the minor leagues. We're not talking about like some of these guys that are already up here. Andujar. Um, well, do you think those guys, guys are untouchable? I think Torres is 100% untouchable. I think Andujar is getting close, but I don't think he is untouchable now. I think uh, it would be very risky for him to do anything, especially with Drury not fully back. Um, but I think... Drury, if he could prove that he's healthy and hitting, uh, is another guy with major league experience, young guy. That's a valuable asset right there, too, if he can get these headache things or the uh, migraines behind him. Um, right. See, I think that Frazier. another team is going to another team will say, Yankees, you prove that Drury is is over this issues and then we'll trade for him. We're well, no doubt about it. He's going to have to prove that. And, and you know, if, if he doesn't, then, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a moot point at that. But. You know, when you're talking about packages, I, I don't know many teams that are in a position to uh, make a move on a, on a big name guy because of because they're ready for the playoffs this year that can put together a better package than the Yankees. I don't I don't think no, it, I don't think you, it exists. You're right about that. You're right about that. So and, and you know, Coriel's um, now hurt, so I think that changes things too. In, in, like in him not being offered up. No, I that I mean, you're going to sell a guy that's hurt. Uh, your top guy that's hurt. It, it's, <laughs> that's it's, what they. It's, that's what they did last year for Sonny Gray. Yeah, but no, it's not the top guy. It's not getting your. It's it, he's the the number one guy in our system right now, next to Clint Frazier. But he's like the number one guy coming up. You're selling your number one guy coming up that actually does potentially have a spot on this team when he's ready. He's so far away hurt. though. He's still in Single A Tampa. Yeah, but you're talking about it now a guy that's injured. 
and it, and, and right. it changes the way that you negotiate. Right. Um, couple of uh, roster notes. So in between the doubleheader games, Warren was recalled, as we said, or reinstated, and Tommy Canely was sent back down to Scranton, which was pretty surprising. Um, Canely does not really look healthy still right. because his fastball is still four, three to four miles an hour slower than what it was last year. And that, to me, indicates injury. Well, I, I, they were talking about this because they sent him down. There were all sorts of things being talked about. We, we heard service time. We heard all, all sorts of crap. I don't think I really don't think it had anything to do with a service time issue. He doesn't make enough money for them to be worrying about. Service yeah, time. it's not. It's it's a complete non-factor. I, I think what the the big thing is is they they did see that you know the the velocity wasn't there, so they're they're thinking that his uh, that just the arm strength hasn't been built up yet, rather than. Rather than an injury currently that he's fully healthy but just doesn't have the the stamina and the arm strength built back up to where he needs to be. And I think that's one of the big reasons they they sent him down. Right. It was just weird because he was warming up in the pen in game one. And then boom, boom, he's out of there. Yeah. It's almost like he's now rehabbing in in Scranton. That's essentially what he's doing. Again. Again. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Frazier was the 26th man. Um so he's probably going to be that sort of swing guy that they keep calling up and sending back down. He just keeps raking, I, too, down in Scranton. Uh, I think he had a couple yeah, more hits tonight. He's a major, because he's a major league player. Right. And he's playing against AAA competition. Like That's what's going to happen. Um, and then I also think it's going to be uh, interesting to see when they recall Ronald Torres because I think it's going to happen soon. Uh, they're over this long stretch of games. They have an off day on Thursday and then another off day on Monday. So I don't know how much longer they're going to carry that extra pitcher. And uh, with Tyler Austin not hitting and Ronald Torres doing everything, including playing the outfield in Scranton, probably going to get him back. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if they uh, if they do reinstate him. Um, they said that well, his locker is still there, right? And that didn't they Always. leave the locker totally uh, totally untouched? Yep, because he's such a giant clubhouse guy. Yep. Um, but you know, with with Clint Frazier raking like that too, uh, trade deadline coming up. I don't know, kind of interesting. Could 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 do some things. Have they really felt the uh, the the fact that toe's not up? Has it hurt? No, we knew it wasn't going to hurt. Is that it, if the Yankees crumbled because Ronald Torres wasn't there to keep the clubhouse together, then this team had bigger problems. So we all think he's a nice player, but come on, guys! It'll be interesting uh, if if Clint Frazier just continues to do this. I mean, it's it's really hard to keep him down. The problem is that he's not going to be able to play every day. And, so and, exactly. I mean, they have an abundance of outfielders. So and Hicks is playing very started, well now, <laughs> and so is so is Brett Gardner. Yeah, yep. Everybody's playing well. Everybody's playing well, do, except for some of the big guys. That's it's such it's such a great thing about this team. Whenever someone's struggling, you got like four guys that are phenomenal that can carry a club and still score a ton of runs. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, ESPN listened to the podcast last episode and heard you rant about the Sunday night baseball game, and they changed it. And the Yankees do not have to play on July 8th, the day before the Baltimore doubleheader. I mean, it was a no-brainer. Manfred had to do this. There, there, you can't let yeah. a network dictate the schedule, uh, especially when it's uh, a schedule problem like this. I mean, it, it's a big issue. It's player player health issues. Player health. You, I guarantee they had the union all over their ass. They had they had a lot of people over. I mean, they were all talking about boycotting. Like, what happens when nobody gets to talk to A Rod? When A Rod is getting <laughs> the silent treatment from the Yankees? It's going to be very awkward. What happens when A Rod and J Lo want to take? Uh, Stanton out to lunch or somebody out to lunch and they can't do it because they're not going to talk to him. It's very awkward. 
So they're going to uh, get rid of that problem, and they'll have plenty of other Sunday night games where they can all uh, talk to each other and have fun. Who's your prediction on who A-Rod does his sit-down with? Because uh, the Yankees are playing Sunday night baseball against the Mets. Yeah. Uh, I could see him doing uh, a sit-down with uh, Miguel Andujar. I Ooh. think, uh, you know, a little third base, third baseman to third baseman, talking, uh, talking shop. Um, I think that could be a, a sleeper. I think he's, you know, Andujar has, has, has taken this team by storm. I think a lot of people are, are definitely uh, excited about him. I think Glaber Mania um, is, is there as well. But I don't know. A little third baseman to third baseman action. I, I'm I'm saying maybe Didi because Arod did this thing on Fox recently where he did a, a starting nine um, sort of team and the only Yankee he picked was uh, Didi for shortstop. There you go. I don't know. Isn't that isn't the whole lunch thing though like a a mentoring session? <laughs> isn't it like well, I'm going to come out well, and give you one... like, give you all the facts of life and how how you how you can become a, a great human being and you know do do things the right way and the Yankee way and all? Isn't that what he the lunch is one... about? He did one with Pujols when it was the Anaheim game. I don't think Pujols needs any mentoring from Alex oh, I, I, So I'm thinking about the uh, when he pulled Judge's side last year. Oh, no, no, no. This is like his ESPN. Oh, I didn't Sunday even know he did like an ESPN thing. Where they sort of sprinkle it in during innings. Got it. No, yeah. I, I I don't know who he's going to pull. That that one will probably be Didi because Didi's uh, good on television. And watch out for A-Rod after the fourth inning because he runs out of material. And, and it's interesting to hear him talk after he runs out of the 10 bullet points that were written for him. Yeah, the teleprompter stops working. <laughs> what, what do I do? Um, lot. Uh, so the Mets three-game series coming up at City Field. lot of buzz about the Yankees going after Jacob deGrom uh, on the trade deadline. I mean, it's, it's like Twitter Yankees buzz. And, yeah. and, and, and then writers. And sports radio. Writers probably. trying to satisfy that, uh, you know, for them to scratch that itch. But. It, you know, it, it's it's not going to happen. There's no way that the Mets are going to trade their best pitcher to the Yankees and That's help the them thing. win they a might, championship. They might trade DeGrom because the Mets are in rough shape. Their offense is so pitiful. They rank 28th in runs scored, 25th in runs per game. They just lost two games to Baltimore, who we saw how bad Baltimore is. Um, so, yeah, they have some pitching talent. We always know they've had some pitching talent. Um, but their offense is bad. They need some young players on that roster. Uh, DeGrom versus Tanaka on Friday, Mats versus Herman on Saturday, and then Severino versus Syndergaard. Syndergaard's scheduled to come back. Uh, that could be a really fun matchup on Sunday night. Yeah, definitely. It was. I, I think it's telling. I'm going to read Jared Diamond's tweet from, uh, I think it was from yesterday. It said, um, uh, actually it's 12 midnight right now, so it's from today. A few Orioles fans just walked uh, just walked past my press box window and said, I wish we could only play the Mets every day. <laughs> so that's where things are. <laughs> so, things are where the last place Baltimore Orioles are happy they're playing the Mets. Crazy. Yeah. So uh, these games, while they're they're going to they're going to feel different, just they're not going to feel like a, you know, because of the rivalry, the quote rivalry, yeah, rivalry. because of the New York thing, it's going to be built up. So it's not going to feel like a good team against a bad team. Right. Until yeah. The Mets have their the reign. Field. The Mets had their reign of the team of New York for the uh, 20 or so days in October when they were in their playoff run, and that was about it. Yeah, even that was suspect. Like, they had some buzz. <laughs> it, it ended pretty quick. They really screwed right. that whole thing up. It really, I mean, they had such a dominant staff that, you know, in the beginning, and then it just couldn't keep anybody healthy. Really, really such a shame. 
Yeah, that's a shame. I'm I'm gonna shed a tear for them as we as we get out of here for this episode. And uh, stay tuned, everybody. For Scott, you spoke with Mike Petrolio. A lot of good stuff. I am looking forward to hearing that. Any last words before we get out of here? A couple of days off uh, Thursday, and then uh, another one on Monday, and it's gonna be it for a while. So a lot of baseball coming up. Got to beat the Mets. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm happy to introduce our next guest, Mike Petriello from MLB.com. He is an analyst on MLB.com and also the host of the StatCast podcast. Mike, thanks so much for coming on and joining the show. Absolutely. You know, so Andrew and I talk quite a bit about these analytics. Andrew especially will will dive into the analytics. I'm, I'll admit I'm one of the uh, the latecomers to the party as far as using the advanced metrics and such, but I've definitely come around and, and look at them more often to see more specifics on how guys are doing and why they're doing. I think that's one of the better reasons you can find out why people are producing the way that they are. Um, but just in general, can you talk to us about when you think that turning point really came and the shift toward away from the traditional metrics? And now we're talking about more advanced saber metrics and how, you know, the organizations have really adopted this as, as a, a standard for how they, you know, look at players. Well, I think inside organizations, the shift happened um, for some organizations like 20 years ago. You know, if you think back to Moneyball, the book that was, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, now we're talking about for the A's. And maybe they were the early adopters, and some teams only caught on like five years ago. But I don't think there's really any team in baseball inside the front office who is going to value a pitcher on a win or a hitter on batting average. And that's just not the way it works. It's not the way it works anymore. And you know, that's it's still kind of new for a lot of people. But you can go back to your baseball history to you know like the 1940s, and you'd have Branch Rickey, who is kind of sort of talking about some early versions of this stuff. You know, with a they had a statistician named Alan Roth that they work with. So. Some of this is really old. It just has taken forever for the technology and the data uh, and the acceptance to catch up. So every single team in baseball is a quote-unquote analytical team at this point. Uh, some teams do it more or less than others and in different ways than others, but there are no there are no holdouts anymore. And then obviously over the last few years, uh, it's it's really gone more in-depth with the stack cast come online because now you can look at exit velocity and foot speed and uh, and spin rate and all this kind of stuff. So, again, I'm sure that every team uses it differently. They all get access to the same data in that sense. And uh, it's really interesting to see how different teams do sort of approach the problem differently. Yeah, and I think that was one of the biggest considerations when the Yankees were looking at at managers and interviewing guys, it seems like, uh, you know, Aaron Boone was more on the cutting edge and more on the forefront of using these statistics and, and using them uh, to, to complement other things. Cause I still think uh, I'm a big believer in the eye test, but I think there's, there's a lot of room for both of them. I think you can see with your eyes, uh, you know, a lot about a player, but then you can go back to the analytics and see why you're seeing those things. And I think they're, they're very useful when you put them together. And I mean, Boone has talked already during press conferences, uh, specifically about Gary Sanchez. Everybody's talking about how, you know, he's having a bad season and, and his numbers are down. Well, if you look at a lot of the numbers, I mean, recently he's gone off on uh, a little bit more of a, a slump, but his production levels are there. And Boone straight up said, you know, I, I don't look at batting average. So you could definitely see how um, the Yankees were, you know, using that as a consideration. Yeah, I think I think the Yankees have one of the largest uh, analytics staffs in baseball, and I think that you know, obviously, you're not going to hire a manager at this point in, in baseball history who's not at least comfortable with it. I mean, not everybody has to be Gabe Kapler, you know, like right. really talking about it or uh, you know a Joe Madden type, but 
you're not going to hire anybody who outright rejects it. I mean, even you look at the Tigers, even they hired Ron Gardner, who's a very traditional guy. And he said, I spent all winter trying to learn what half of this stuff was. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a requirement for today's game. And as far as like Gary Sanchez goes, yeah, I think we've seen that a couple of times now. Um, like in St. Louis, Matt Carpenter got off to a terrible start and he went to the front office and he said, what does the data say? Am I actually just this bad? And they said, no, it, it seems like you're still hitting pretty well and it's just not working out for you. So keep on keeping on. And he's played pretty well lately. And I think the same thing is true for Gary Sanchez. Uh, I think especially so for him because most players, I don't care about batting average, but for a not not exactly a fleet of foot catcher, I extremely don't care about batting average. All I want for him is to get on base and hit for power. His surface stats are, are fine, not exactly as great as we would have hoped, but as you mentioned, you look at the, uh, the underlying stats, for example, I have it in front of me, he's slugging 464, but his expected slugging is 538. That's based on how hard he's hitting it and the launch angle he's hitting it at. And that's not a guarantee that he's going to get to, you know, the level you think, but it, it sure is a good sign. Like, there's a difference between hitting uh, an unfortunate 201 and just a bad 201, right? Because they mean two very different things to me. Right. No, that's, that's, it's interesting. And, and, you know, I never, a couple of years ago, I never would have looked at those things. I would have seen my traditional lines and, and then, you know, realized that when he's up and he's getting out, I'm not looking at, uh, you know the the entire uh, an entire month of how hard he's hit a ball. I just remember that he's been out and his batting average is uh, subpar. We're fighting the Mendoza line, you know what I mean? Like that becomes a storyline at that point. But you're right. I think when you're hitting the ball hard, um, sometimes you can have some bad luck. And I think that's when you're looking at Aaron Judge. You know, I, I think last year he was one of the leaders, if not the leader, in BABIP. And, and we're looking at, you know, he's a uh, he's at a 350 BABIP. So does that mean his numbers are better because of good luck? But then when you start looking more into it, you're realizing that he's crushing the ball every time he's making contact. So, you know, with a guy like him, you're, you're kind of getting luck is going out the window at that point because he's hitting the ball so hard. But when you're looking at these numbers, I mean, don't you have to consider more than one and, and just a group of them to, to really find the, the complete story of a player? Yeah, I mean, it depends on what what specific skill or, or you know lack of a skill that you're trying to find. For Aaron Judge, uh, he's hitting 276 and his expected batting average is 277. So he's basically getting everything uh, that he's expected to, and that, that's including all you know, of uh, everything that goes in the batting average, not just on balls in play. As you said, just balls in play, it's very high. I actually, I don't like looking at that for him because batting average on balls in play excludes home runs, which are not in play. Right. And for Aaron Judge, I'm very interested in knowing home runs for him. Sure. But just looking at his bat, that's right, it's very high. And for some guys, you can say, well, that's a lot of boots falling in. I don't really trust that to maintain mm-hmm. Aaron Judge, yeah, he's crushing the ball. And it's, it's not, like, ridiculously high. If it was, like, a 480 Bapix, then, yeah, I'm not buying that. But if it's 350 or something, and now he's doing it for two years in a row, and I know he hits the ball harder than anybody in baseball, I can feel pretty confident that's going to maintain. Uh, that's not really the first place I would look. I would look at a stat like weighted on base or, you know, expected weighted on base, on base percentage, slugging all those to get the total uh, picture of the player. The Yankee center field spot has been has been kind of a revolving door for a few years now with uh with Ellsbury not even on the on the cusp of coming back we have no idea what's going on with him it seems like every other day there's a new injury popping up um and uh Brett Gardner obviously the left fielder Clint Frazier is a guy that's in the minor leagues people have been pining for him to come up you know where is he going to play is it going to be center field and this was a a big Twitter discussion among a lot of Yankee fans uh, Aaron Boone has talked about the fact that they love Aaron Hicks. They love his defense. Obviously, he's a much better uh, plus defender than Clint Frazier, especially if you're looking at center field. But I think the the biggest criticisms on Hicks is people are looking at him and they're saying, well, you know, his numbers are down. He's not hitting well. 
And uh, one of our guys, Frank, has pulled these, these numbers up in, uh, on my notes for me to talk about. But his defense are up, is up there. But when you're looking at uh, the expected, uh, expected weight on base average, he should be producing a lot more than he is. And we're seeing, I think, maybe that correction at this point because he's actually been you know, producing a lot more and we're seeing a lot of the balls drop uh, as, you know, within the last week. Just, just in time for a little bit of competition on his, on his rear end. Yeah, if you, uh, if you look at Aaron Hicks, I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't really played all that much, right? He's got 150 plate appearances, something like that. It's not a ton to judge anybody on. And if you look at him last year, obviously he had something of a breakout season. So I'm looking at him right now, and uh, the underlying stats to me are fantastic. So he had a hard hit rate. Uh, so we define a hard hit ball as being 95 miles an hour of X's last year more. The last three years, is up pretty steady, 33%, 35%, 33%. This year, he's up to 44%. He's hitting the ball really hard, and he's actually raised his launch angle, so he's hitting the ball off the ground a little more. The combination of those two things, to me, is fantastic, and obviously all that only matters if you are hitting the ball, and if you're striking out a ton more, then that's going to be a problem, but he's not. He's striking out less. Um, so to me, I see a guy who's really performing better than he did last year, and when I look at his actual numbers, I mean, He's still having an above-average season, even just by outcomes. You know, he's he's got uh, 12 percentage points above average if you look at an advanced stat like when he runs created plus. So he's not disappointing to me. He's having a good season, and the underlying skills show me that he should be having an even better season. We always get outfielder. I like Clint Frazier. I would not replace Aaron Hicks with Frazier at all. I think that'd be a huge mistake. Yeah, I mean, I, over the last week and a half, too, uh, Hicks has definitely gotten hot, and and it seems like. It was, uh, you know, right around the, around the time they're talking about Frazier coming up. And it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's like one of those, when the storylines hit, Aaron Hicks turned it up a notch and, and started showing um, a lot better as well. And I think, I think people have definitely quieted on a lot of those, <laughs> those conversations. Um, flipping to the other side, talking about some of the pitching. And there's been a lot of talk about spin rate, specifically talking about the Astros. We know the whole back and forth uh, with some of the players in the majors about the uh, the spin rate and some of the guys coming over and getting that increased spin rate in Houston. Can you talk to us about the significance just about the spin rate and, and how you guys are determining that for, for different types of pitches and what you're looking for? Yeah, spin rate is uh, directly measured by the trackman radar. And I mostly look at it for fastballs and curveballs because uh, the direction of the spin is important too, but that's not directly measured. And for fastballs, and curveballs, it's more or less like, you know, true top spin and back spin. Obviously, it's slightly different for different guys. So for a four-seam fastball, if you have a very high spin rate, that's pretty good. It lends itself well to what's known as the rising fastball. Right. It doesn't actually rise because it's not possible. It just falls a little more slowly. It defies gravity. And that's great because then the batter uh, may be more likely to swing under it, which lends to uh, leads to swinging strikes and pop-ups, which are basically strikeouts, so that's great. If you have a low spin rate, that's actually pretty good, too, because it's the exact opposite. You get a ton of sink, uh, and you will get a lot of ground balls, and that's also good. What you don't really want is just a league average spin rate, because that kind of means your ball doesn't move. Uh, a former Yankee, Nathan Evaldi, is a guy I always think of here, threw it really hard, but never missed a ton of bats because the ball didn't have any movement. It's just kind of straight, and uh, hitters can square up a ball that's 100 miles an hour if it doesn't move, and they know it's coming. So for me, that's what I look at when I think about fastball spin. Uh, Curveballs is kind of the opposite. A uh, high spin rate will help the ball sink uh, or drop more, and you certainly want that for curveballs. And if you look at the numbers, uh, a high spin curveball does tend to have you know more swing strikes, a lower average against. So those are the pitches that a uh, spin rate really stands out on for me. So when you're looking at like a sinker, how are you are you judging spin rate on that? Because you're, you're talking about less spin rate when you're throwing a ball hard is going to have more movement on a ball. 
and um, but a sinker is you know theoretically you're looking at similar arm slot if not the same arm slot uh, similar look coming out of the hand as a fastball and the the bottom falls out on it and you know when you're talking about that pitch I mean Tanaka that's one of his better pitches and when Tanaka is down in the zone and when his sinker is is right and it looks like the fastball you know that's when he's most effective so what are you looking at you know, as far as spin rate on that, and is it even a you know a, a, one of the bigger determining factors? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not probably looking at spin rates that much on it. I mean, for a sinker, you want lower spin because you want that ball to uh, to drop. I mean, I don't. I don't really think he's using his sinker that much. I know that he has a lot of pitches, but uh, I mean, when I look at Tanaka, I think you know uh, slider and split finger, and he somewhat famously just stopped throwing fastballs more or less this right. year. Right. Yeah. So you know, it, it's nice to have a, a low spin rate on his sinker. But that's not probably the first or second thing I would look at there. I'd like to know, you know, velocity and movement and, you know, how it works with his other pitches and location, of course. Now, have you guys talked much about Sonny Gray at all from, you know, what he was in Oakland to, to the guy we're seeing now? And we've it's been a it's been a conversation that Andrew and I've had consistently, it seems like every time, because every other start has been either you know, an abysmal start as of late in the last uh, four or five starts has been terrible or, you know, we've shown some signs of of strength him coming out. You know, when he's on the road against Kansas City, he pitched well. Um, He just recently pitched well in Baltimore. It seems like when he's home, you know, he's not as effective. Um, But, you know, when he's ahead in the the account and and he's actually attacking the strike zone, he seems like he's an effective guy. And it almost seems like he's got that confidence of, you know, the guy that he used to be in – you know, when he was in Oakland. So what are your, what's your take on Sonny Gray as far as the season, what we're looking at? Yeah, extremely inconsistent. I think, as you said, uh, is accurate. It's important to remember when he was at his best with the A's, he was never a high strikeout guy. You know, he was actually, I think, striking out fewer than he is now with the Yankees. Uh, that was just never his game. He was, he was a guy who would get weak contact, avoid home runs, get the ball on the ground. And to me, that's what's changed. You know, he's got a career-low ground ball rate this year, which is not great when the ball is falling out of the park. He's got a career-high walk rate also not great he's getting the strikeouts but yeah it's 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 just this lack of consistency that's extremely frustrating to me and I, I almost look at him you know when he was with the A's and doing well he was throwing a ton of fastballs and now he's on a team at the Yankees where they just don't throw fastballs mm-hmm. I almost wonder if that's messing with him a little bit if that's just trying to get him away from his strengths to kind of work towards the team's strengths like I, I look at Garrett Cole it's the exact opposite as soon as he got traded from Pittsburgh to Houston everybody's like this is great going to stop throwing that crappy sinker going to start throwing more breaking pitches because that's what the Astros do and he's going to be great. It's not that simple, but obviously it's worked out that way. Um, and I, I just wonder if it's kind of the opposite for Sonny Gray. I, I look at his fastball usage, it's way down. And that's how the Yankees pitch. And that's worked out very well for them because they're one of the three best teams in baseball. Uh, but I just, I wonder if it doesn't work for everybody and I'm not sure it's working for him. Yeah. It's almost like he has to make that, a you know, that, that, that change. And, and you're like, you're right. Larry Rothschild has been, I think he's changed the you know how the the Yankees approach things on the pitching side with throwing a ton more breaking balls. So, you know, hopefully they can get back to it because he's one of those guys that just drives me nuts because of the potential. And you look at him and you saw, you know, the type of stuff that he had in Oakland and we're just not seeing it. I mean, you see glimpses of it, but it's almost like, you know, half of it's between his ears and and he just doesn't have the confidence and like you said, he's maybe he's not it's not a, a you know, affecting him in the right way with uh with not throwing the fastball enough and it's it's, uh, you know, just affecting the way he's attacking people. And that's frustrating because, you know, the, the talent's still there. You're still seeing the velocity on the fastball. So you're not thinking injury at this point. So it's just, a, you know, when's he going to figure it out type deal? The Yankees are obviously we know they are a prolific offense. Uh, these guys are on pace now to uh, to set the home run record. You, you recently wrote an article 
uh, talking about this, the team home run record, they're going to be challenging is what it looks like. If everything is uh, staying kind of on pace and on target, they'll be challenging the uh, 97 Mariners with 264 home runs is the, um, is the leader in the clubhouse right now. So what they're on pace uh, as of your article uh, for 271, that's probably either plus or minus a little bit right now, but what's, what are your thoughts uh, currently on, uh, on the Yankees and chasing that record? Yeah. I mean, as soon as they traded for John Carlos Stanton, that was the first thing that came to mind because uh, even without Stanton last year, they led the American League in home runs, yep. and then they traded for the NL MVP. And then you figure, wow, this is going to be a monstrous offense. And obviously, Stanton's year hasn't gotten off to the start people want it to. But he's still got 13 home runs. He's still been an above-average hitter. Right. Uh, we've seen him turn it on. I mean, the second half of last year, he was a monster. So when I looked at whether uh, I looked at it before the season started, whether they could break the record, and at the time, the projections said they had a good shot. And then I did it the other day, as you said, because we were one-third of the way through the season, and that seemed far enough into the year to see what we learned. And I did it two ways. I just simply looked at on pace, uh, and as you said, that got to 271, and that's fine, but on pace isn't really the right way to do it mathematically because at the time, Greg Bird had hit one home run and played like four games, and I'm pretty sure he's going to play more than that for the rest of the year. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Glaber Torres is not going to be on a 50-home run pace for the entire season. <laughs> So that's what the on-pace numbers did. So then I went and took the projections and the playing time, and I did it the quote-unquote correct way. And as it turned out, it basically came out exactly the same way. So all of my warnings about on-pace were uh, kind of fell on deaf ears because uh, the projections said the exact same thing, which is great. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen, certainly. Like, somebody could get hurt. They can make a trade. There's a million different ways that this could go. But it seems to me like they are going to have the best shot at breaking the record. Uh, we've seen it a long time. And if Stan actually hits like we saw him at the end of last season, and if Sanchez starts hitting like the way we know he's capable of, uh, I could easily see them breaking this record. And I think it's almost uh, an underreported story uh, nationally that Aaron Judge is more or less repeating his year from last year, which is ridiculous. He's been fantastic. So you look at this team, and I, I say to myself, yes, I could absolutely see them challenging or breaking this record. Yeah, and it's funny because everybody there's that's this is something that we talked about on our show a couple of days ago with Gene Car- with Giancarlo Stanton and and how you know he's getting also the wrath of uh, the Yankee fan because when you're the optics or when you're looking at it it's frustrating sometimes when you see him and and just so the difference between a good Stanton at bat and a bad Stanton at bat are so very different and you know sometimes he just looks lost against a, you know certain pitches like the four seam fastball up in the zone. The, he he couldn't touch it for a solid month and a half, and he's still having trouble with it. But it, it's it's one of those things that you know you don't see him play very often when he's in Miami. But then he comes here and he can't hit a fastball. It's like how does that work? I don't understand that. But according to your numbers, when you're looking at it, you know he has been productive and he's on pace right now. If you're looking at the pro- the projected again, um, you know for 45 home runs, so he's still there making making con- good contact. Uh, it's just the bad at bats I think are skewing things in the eye of a fan. He does this. He does this every year. I mean, even when he's good, he'll strike out 150 times. Yeah. I mean, that is the Giancarlo Stanton experience, and usually he'll have you know a bunch of them in like a six-week span, or he looks like he's never played the game of baseball before. <laughs> right. But it all it all evens out in the end. I mean, he's he's so talented. He he's kind of streaky, and I know that frustrates some fans. But uh, when the good times come, they will be very very good. New York has had their streaky players. You know, the, a lot of Yankees fans are Knicks fans too, and they went through a John Starks era too. So we've had we've had our streaks in. Uh, in New York, I think we're used to it. It still doesn't get easier every single time. Uh, moving on to 
Gleyber Torres, you know, back to what you were saying, actually, you're talking about him being on pace for 50 home runs, which is crazy. Uh, obviously, it's a small sample, not going to happen. But when you're looking at a guy like Gleyber Torres or even Gary Sanchez did this, too, when you're uh, when they made that jump from AAA to the majors, are, are t- what are teams looking at as far as analytics or is there any kind of a, a metric that they're looking at for trying to project, you know, potential power from uh, jumping from AAA to the majors? Because we, we have seen it in those two guys where they've come up and you know, they're, they're hitting the ball over the park or over the wall a lot more often. You know, is it because the major league pitchers are around the strike zone more often and these guys are good at, you know, getting bat on ball and making contact? Or what, what are they looking at? Yeah, there, there's a bunch of different reasons for that. I think in terms of what skills our team's looking at in the minors, it's not really so much the outcome stats as it is the, uh, the skill measurements, right? So pretty much every team has some sort of track band set up at all their minor league parks. So you might be able to say, well, Gleyber Torres' exit velocity at AA was this, and then at AAA it was that, and here's a swing straight great. Here's how many ground balls he hit. Um, all that stuff is really more important than, let's say, batting average because you know you don't know the quality of the, let's say, infield defense that he's facing down there. So that is that's more of what they look at, I think. And then in terms of you know why could a player's performance change when he comes up to the big leagues, I think you're partially right in the sense. I don't want to say major league pitchers are easier because that's certainly not true. Right. But you can be pretty you can be pretty certain they're going to throw you some strikes, and that might not be true from guys in the minors. Um, I think obviously the scouting reports are better. You know, you listen. You might not be able to hit Max Scherzer no matter what you know about him, but you at least have an idea of what pitches he throws and when he will throw them. Sure. You know, so it may not matter because he's great, but that'll at least help you. And then I think in terms of just power, you know. We've learned a little bit that the uh, the ball in the majors may be a little bit different than the ball in the minors. So if it flies even a little bit further, uh, that could help some of these guys. I mean, Torres has 10 home runs. And, you know, I think all of last year, uh, obviously, missed a lot of the year because he was hurt. But in the half a year he played, he had seven home runs in the minors. Um, so I, I do think that could play a factor, too. Yeah, it's interesting when you see those things. And I don't think a lot of people realize the, uh, the the different approaches guys are taking at different levels as well. Like you said, there may be a different approach a, a guy's taking at double-A that when he gets to triple-A, he's going to you know be working on something a little bit different or they're going to have a, more of a focus on what he's doing at the plate um, differently so that they can, they can measure who he is. And I think that's the same way with pitchers too. I, I think that's why you can't look at a lot of the statistics in the minor leagues because – you know, they may be doing different things on different days or um, just different approaches from the coaching staff. Didi Gregorius, we saw how he was in April. I mean, the guy was all world phenomenal. It seems like he was hitting a home run every other at bat. The, the May slump was a drastic, a drastic fall from grace of the, from those numbers. What do you think the real Didi is at this point? You know, where, where should we be looking for him as far as a mean for the rest of the season? Yeah, probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, I know I know a lot of Yankee fans got all amped up that he was the best player in baseball in right. April. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I oh, like Didi Gregorius. We had, Brian Ken- we had Brian Kenny on a couple of weeks ago, too, so don't worry. We, we've we gone all through this on Didi and his uh, and the rankings. There's been lots of talk about Didi and advanced metrics. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to go on a brief tangent about that because I was on the same show as Brian. Um, I had ranked Didi as my number five shortstop, and the MLB Network shredder did not, and uh, all sorts of Yankee fans and – even Boomer Sison on sports radio saw that list and assumed it was me and it gave me a hard time all spring for not ranking him on my top 10 list. I did. I ranked him number five. He was fantastic in April. Uh, not so great in May. I, I, I almost wonder, I think he got like kicked in the head at one point. Um, maybe it, that probably didn't help him. That's sort of when his production went down. He's been a little bit better lately because he's not a 40 home run guy. You know, I look at him as being uh, a very good defensive shortstop who is an above average hitter. And those two things combined, Nick him a star, but it's wild if you think about how great of a start he got off to 
you almost certainly, unless Yankee fans go nuts here at the ballots, not going to make the AL All-Star team. And that says less about him and more about the fact that Manny Machado is awesome and Andrelton Simmons is awesome and Francisco Lindor is awesome and Carlos Correa is awesome. Uh, and I didn't even mention Bogart. I mean, it's just like the deepest crap we've ever seen. So despite his great start, uh, I think he's probably not going to make the All-Star team, but he's, he's, still, he's still a star in, in my eyes and the true talent level probably somewhere in between. It's funny, if you look at his stats right now, his on-base and his slugging uh, are almost exactly what they were last year. So I guess it all evens out. Yeah, chock full of, of American League shortstop uh, talent and studs. That's It's one of those unfortunate things. All right, I appreciate everything, Mike. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. Last thing before I, I let you go, um, we petitioned for this 2016, end of 2016, we've been talking about this. So uh, I want you to please take this into your meetings. B-whips, bullpen warm-up pitches. We want that to be added to the list. We've seen it in 2016 when Girardi ran Batantis into the ground in the bullpen, not on the field, in the bullpen. So B-whips, it's got a good name. It's got a good uh, basis around it because I think it does show what a guy is doing with his uh, with consistency and, and how he can get run down at the end of the year. So take that into your next meeting, if you will. I think it's a, I think it's a great idea. I'm not sold on the name. <laughs> All right. Mike, thanks again. Uh, if you want to follow Mike on Twitter, you can get him at Mike underscore Petrillo. Mike, again, really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, and we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.